0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph Thanks so much for tuning in Our desire is to join Jesus In his mission to redeem our city May God bless you as you listen And consider subscribing so that you can tune in Each week, grace and peace Come on, let's keep Let's keep worshiping Jesus in this room Come on, don't do the cute stuff like Let's really worship Jesus in this room You know, there's a there's a part in that song that literally says, as long as I am breathing, I, I just want to know: is there anybody in the room that got breath in their body that God has given you the ability to inhale and exhale? Then you should be worshiping Jesus right now. Come on, let's worship him. Come on, let's do it together. As long as In my part, as long as I am breathing, as long. We were knowing that together. That's me. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I know some of y'all like, this is too much. Y'all just doing too much. God has been so good and so merciful. And so kind and... I'm just grateful to worship Jesus with the body of Christ together. It's Psalm 95 that says, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. He certainly is our rock. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. He's the one that holds us down. Uh, It's good to be in the house of God, worshiping that God with you. Z, it's good to see you, brother. Y'all do me a favor. Just look at somebody and just say, I'm happy to see you. Come on. Only if you're really happy. Look at somebody else and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't choose you first. But I'm happy to see you, too. It's good to worship Jesus in, 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 a corporate, in a corporate setting. Shout out to y'all, man. Y'all made it through road closures and delays. I don't know if there was train delays, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's me. I just feel like there's a marathon every other week in New York. I mean, we just shut the city down for these marathons. Uh, but I'm grateful to be able to come together and, number one, see you. But number two, I'm grateful to be able to open up God's word with you. Psalm 19 says it this way. The word of the Lord is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so this is, this is the moment. This is why we've gathered, because we want to hear the word of God. And this is not a pause in our worship. This is, the preaching is, is an extension of the worship. We're continuing to worship God, but we're doing so through our intellect. And we're doing so by reading the word. And we're doing so by, as Mary talked about pondering the word in her heart. That's what we're going to do today. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles and go. Are your devices, y'all young, y'all ain't got physical Bibles. Oh, oh, somebody proving me wrong. Let me see the Bibles then. I see you. That's because you got baptized. I see you. I see y'all. Okay, I see y'all. Y'all got the Bibles today. Um, for the rest of y'all, let me see those devices. Let me see those. Look at this. Look at this. Look at the rule. All right, second Sammy was where we're going to hang out. A couple of things real quick. Uh, number one, uh, my, my friend is is here, uh, Pastor Aaron Brockett. He's from Traders Point. Can we just give him some love? <laughs> Pastor Traders Point. Y'all may not know this, but a huge supporter. Uh, he's been a friend, met him at a Yankees game many, many years ago. And uh, he's just been a huge supporter of our church on so many levels. Uh, he, he never leaves a text that is is un- um, unread or or unsent back. I don't know if that's the word unsent back, but he, you know he responds to all the text messages, and uh, I typically am, am texting him because um, they're just amazing. I don't know, y'all should really look up Trader's Point. They're just an amazing group of people in Indianapolis, and I text him about so many things, and he always always comes through. So I'm just so grateful for him and his friendship. All right, we're in Second Samuel. Hey, as we as you guys are turning there, or, or you're probably there already. I wanted to just lay this before you. It's, it's nothing deep, nothing big. It, if anything else, it's more spiritual warfare that I would love for you guys to just consider um, praying for and, and, and going to the Lord on, on personally on, on my behalf. Uh, last week, I was 100% scheduled to be here. I was excited to be here. I was excited for the word. I um, was excited to worship with you guys. And um, about Thursday, I woke up, and I, I don't know how to explain it besides my, my throat was sore. But it wasn't, like, it wasn't that bad, you know, I got up, gargled some salt, drank some ginger ale, because y'all know ginger ale just does, <laughs> just does everything. Uh, I drank some ginger ale and, and gargled some salt water, and I thought I was good. Went, met Ed in, in the city, and we did some, did some taping, some video stuff. And then um, probably around the afternoon, it severely started to get painful and started to get worse. And I was like, man, this, is, this isn't normal. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, man, maybe it's strep. It's like so many things going on. Maybe it's COVID. And I, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I did go to the doctor on Friday because it began to get worse. Um, and they, I tested negative for strep and for COVID. And so they were like, it's probably just tonsillitis. And I didn't think anything of it. Went home, gargled some more salt water, drank some more ginger ale. And Friday night into Saturday, it severely got, it got, it got really bad. My... Um, My the right side of my throat began to swell uh, to to where it was in the middle of my you know that little dangly uvula that started to swell the whole thing was pushing over and I had one little airway to breathe out of and it it began to get a little scary because I I mean I could breathe but it was it was hard to breathe when I uh, specifically when I laid down Um, I could no longer talk Uh, I could not eat I could not drink. I just sat in pain, and it got to the point where um, over-the-counter pain meds just didn't, didn't work anymore. So Saturday morning, we went to the doctor, um, and then t- finally Ty and I was just like, if you can't eat, can't talk, um, having trouble breathing, you should go to the ER. So I went to the ER, spent all day in the ER. It was there that they hooked me up on IV, gave me some steroids for the swelling, gave me some antibiotics, and did a CAT scan. And during the CAT scan, they, they saw an abscess that was behind my tonsils. That was severely swollen and uh, severely painful. And I mean, the smartest doctors just couldn't figure out how to, to, they wanted to drain it. This is a lot, but y'all bear with me. They wanted to drain it, which I wasn't a fan of, a needle going in the back of my throat and kind of draining out some things. But I was in such pain. I was like, man, I don't care what you do. Like, Just do it. Just get, get rid of the pain um, so I can talk again. Ty was my, my translator. She translated everything. I literally, no lie, I was, I was texting Ty so that she could talk to the doctor because I just could not talk. And um, when they when, yeah, after the CAT scan, they found that it was an abscess. They were trying to figure out how to get me to an ENT. And an ENT wasn't on call at that time. So they wanted me to stay over uh, to monitor the breathing and stuff. Long story short, I decided not to stay over just because I. Um, they gave me antibiotics and the swelling went down a bit, but I still couldn't talk. So they sent me home saturday night into sunday morning and um i was disappointed because it wasn't drained and i was still in pain i still couldn't talk i still couldn't eat i ate a little applesauce when i got home and i sipped some water and when i sipped the water even though i was disappointed that they didn't perform the procedure that i needed when i sipped the water i can't explain it besides i felt like god began to do the procedure at that moment and i couldn't talk but um this is but stuff started to drain out, and I was in the bathroom, and I'm getting it up. I'm like, Ty, it's, it's, it's coming out. I started to talk, and I couldn't, I'm telling y'all I could not talk. I started to talk right away, and I heard Ty in the other room, and she was listening to something. I thought it was a meme. I'm, I'm actually going to play it for y'all. I know tech team hates me for doing it this way, um, but um, I want to play this for you guys because then Ty sent me what she was listening to, and it was uh, Gabe and Keisha's daughter, Elia. And she was praying and I called them and I, no lie, I was extremely emotional when I called them uh, because I was just so overwhelmed at God's goodness. I want you to listen to this voice, this voice note. It's really quick, but listen to the words that she says. Listen here. Hold up. Test it. Test it. All right. Women, and for he to feel better for everyone to help such a woman and for other people to help him. Listen to this part. So, to help him feel better and what came in his throat and for it to come out so that when he can talk again I'll end it there. And, you know, we, we can sit here and say, that's cute, that's cute, that's cute. But let me tell y'all something. The smartest minds couldn't figure out how to drain this thing. And Elias one prayer completely drained it. Completely drained it. <laughs> Matthias been in his own world over there. Uh, completely drained it. And, you know, I, I, I actually didn't think it was cute. I was like, God used her in such a profound way. And just like the, the, the lesson on, on how God answers prayer. Y'all remember we went through the book of Daniel, and the Bible says that Daniel, it was Daniel chapter 9. He prayed, and before he finished the prayer, God answered it. Y'all remember that? And I believe that that's what the Lord did um, in that moment. So shout out to Gabe over here. Where's Keisha She's in here somewhere? No, see, all right. Shout out to Gabe and Keisha for their parenting and steering. Um, Steering Ellie in the way of the things of God. A couple of weeks ago, when we was all together and we was on Easter, you know, Easter Sunday, and the kids were up here singing. Uh, many of us was like, "Oh, that's cute, that's cute, that's cute." But man, these are our future leaders and prophets and and, and gospel carriers. And, and I'm just I'm grateful to be able to go apart, to go to a church that invests in our, our, our children and our and our young people. Uh, so yeah, shout out to those who were upstairs caring for the kids today. All right, let's let's get into the word. Hey, I'm gonna, I just quickly want to apologize for Easter Sunday, by the way. It was crazy in here. Like, we put seats where we just shouldn't have put seats. And I'm sitting here going to y'all, hey, don't y'all call the fire department. And the head of the fire department, Mayor Eric Adams, showed up. I was like, Lord, if they report us today. Um, but it, it, we, we continually uh, are trying to monitor just the, this season of church growth that we are experiencing. God has been faithful, and God has been really good. And we want to, you can, amen, amen. There's two things with momentum that you can do wrong. You can overmanage it or you can undermanage it. And being in the pace of God is the most important thing. And I'm grateful. Listen, y'all, I'm grateful for the building that he has given us. But y'all know we need a, a bigger building, right? I just keep that in the prayer somewhere. Put that in the pocket. At This, this, this season of our life, Gabe, I, we, just, we don't need to be putting no more money down. We just need somebody to give us a building. That's what I'm believing God for. Just give it to us. All right, let's get into it. Second Samuel. Um, as we get into the word, man, on um, May 7th, I am starting, a, we're starting a, a new sermon series uh, on relationships. And I'm really excited about it. The name of the actual series is Created for Relationships The Messy, The Tension, The Truth. We're going to be talking about sex and sexuality. We're going to be talking about singleness, uh, marriage, dating, friendships. We're going to be talking about a relational tension. How many of y'all know every now and then you just get in a relationship, whether it's family or friends or a spouse or someone, uh, an intimate relationship, somebody you engage with? Um, how many of you know that it's, you're always going to experience relational tension? So how you manage relational tension and how you seek forgiveness and restoration is all of this is important. And so May 7th, we'll do a five-week sermon series uh, on created for relationships. You can't run, you can't run in isolation from people. So how do we manage in these relationships? It's going to be dope, and there's going to be some things that are said across the pulpit that you typically don't hear across the pulpit. Uh, but uh, I don't embarrass easy, so I'm, I'm just going to go all the way all the way there. We're going to say things like uh, a vagina. Somebody say vagina. Oh, come on. We're going to say penis. Somebody say penis. Don't that just feel better? Get, go ahead, get that out the way. Get that out the way. Well, we're going all the way there in this relationship series. So bring your friends... And be prepared. All right, let's get into it. 2 Samuel. Y'all better come in. Don't put that in your notes, (laughs) y'all. That's that's not one to write down this week. All right, pick me up in verse 1. Second, I'm sorry. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Y'all got a little attitude over here. What? (laughs) Y'all, who is that, Andrea? Always you. All right. Bring me up verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. It says, now when the king, meaning David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest. Somebody say rest. From all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see how I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is on your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent. Somebody say a tent for my dwelling. And all... Places where I have moved, and with the people of Israel, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel, of whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you may be a prince over my people Israel, and I have been and I have been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make you your name. Great. Like the name, like the great names of, uh, uh, of the ones on the earth. I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own places and be disturbed no more. And I will, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly for the time that was appointed, Judges over my people of Israel, and I will give you rest, somebody say rest, from all your enemies. Moreover, this is so important, underline this this phrase. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father. In other words, when you die, David, I will rise up your offspring after after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house, build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be with him, I will be, uh, and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Whenever he commits iniquity, I shall discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripe of the sons of men. But the steadfast love, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There's, there's that phrase again. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. I want to preach today, really pose as a question, who's really building the house? Who is really building the house? Let's look to the Lord before we, uh, before we dig in. Um, Father, we come before you humble, knowing that we cannot understand this story, this passage, this, this set of scriptures without, without you speaking to us. So Father, I pray that you would be with us today as we dig into your word. Pray that Jesus would be glorified. Pray that he would be lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. So Father, draw to Jesus today. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name, get the glory. Don't let people be drawn, oh God, to the music today. Let them not be drawn to the lights. Let them not be drawn to the charisma of a speaker. But Father, let them be drawn to your son, Jesus. Because that's why we're here, so that he can get the glory and the honor. It's in his name and his name alone, we pray. Amen. Who was really building the house? Uh, How many have ever heard of the term plot twist? Plot twist. It's used in like, you know, literature, it's used in, 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 in film and in television, whenever someone's uh, a play. A plot twist is so, so important because without a plot twist, all of the stories that we see or heard or read will become very mundane and boring, very predictable. If you never had a plot twist, it, it, everything would be predictable. A plot twist means literally the story starts out one way, you don't realize that you're about to be hoodwinked and bamboozled and it switches on you. And then you look at the end of the story and you're like, this story completely changed. It did not end the way that it started. There are a few uh, writers and producers that, that actually, I mean, rely heavily on plot twists. Someone like M. Night Shyamalan relies heavily on a plot twist. Don't act like you knew Bruce Willis was dead in Sixth Cent* until the very, 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 very end of the movie. There's a few of you that saw the insight, but there, there's many of us that wasn't quick on the uptake and we were like, Bruce Willis didn't even know he was dead to the very end, plot twist is so, so important. I believe that the greatest plot twist ever is shown in this passage that is before us. I don't know if you've paid attention, but verses one, two, and three start out one way. Verses 17 ends a whole nother way. The way that this story starts is completely different than how it ends. The passage before us, there's a couple things going on. Number one, King David has a real desire to build God a temple. In other words, when it talks about the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant, I've taught you this before, that that's the visible manifestation of God. When they they, they came out of bondage, out of Egypt, God gave them very clear instructions and what to go in it. You know, manna was supposed to be in it. Aaron's staff was supposed to be inside the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented God's very presence. And so what David has in this moment is a real desire to put God's presence inside of a house. But the plot twist is God's response. Because even though David had a noble desire, God responds completely different than I expected him to respond. Now, in the passage here, David is experiencing a real sense of peace. I I asked you guys to say peace because I wanted to highlight it in the passage. David, this, this is one of the few times that you see David really chilling. Like David, in this moment, Israel has been united. I don't know if you know about the division of Israel, but they were divided between the northern and the southern kingdom. David's like, this ain't good. We can be stronger if we're together. So he unites the kingdoms. The Bible says in in verse number two that there's no invading armies that are coming in to, to overtake Israel right now. David is chilling. He's good. And first of all, I love that the Bible gives us some context to David being in a season of tranquility and peace. And you know why? Because many of us, and I'm guilty of it as well, many of us only know our relationship with, with God as him taking us through turmoil and bringing us through hardship. And praise God, like, yes, and amen, he is a comforter. He is near to the brokenhearted. So yes, praise God Then yes, God will comfort you in hard seasons, but every now and then he sprinkles in your life a season of peace. And it behooves you to pay attention to those seasons because oftentimes we only experience God as a provider and, 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 and as a protector. And yes, he is all of those things. But my God is so ambidextrous every now and then he just slips you in a season of tranquility and shalom. Some of y'all are in that season right now. We ain't nothing wrong. You, 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 might, like, you might have some anxieties like, oh, something's going to happen, but nothing's wrong. Everything is good. Everything is at peace. Financial stability is happening for you right now. You done got the job. You done got the boo and everything is going well. And Peachy came for you right now. It is in those moments. I would implore you to pay attention to those moments because they're, they're, they're not the totality of your relationship with the Lord, but they are important seasons of your life. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I'm the type of person that I know how to pay attention to the clouds and the rain and the wind and the floods and miss the fact that the sun is out. Anybody else like that? This morning I got up early, 530, and I was looking outside. It was pouring down, raining. But if you look outside right now, Proverbs 30, weep and mate and do it for a night. But joy comes in the morning. And there are some of you right now, I just want to go ahead and prophetically speak over your life. There are some of you right now that you're in the midst of hard season, but hold on a little bit longer and you will experience a season that David is experiencing. David says, I, I just got peace, man. I, I done balanced the budget. I done made sure the borders are strong. I done made sure that our kingdom is united. I'm just experiencing a real season of peace, and while he's experiencing peace, a desire bursts in his heart. Can we read the desire real quick? because I, I, I think the desire is pure and noble. In verse number one, it says that when, when, king, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, "See now I dwell, uh, see now I dwell in a house of cedar." the ark of God dwells in a tent. Notice what's happening. Peep peep what's happening here. David is in that season of peace. And while he's sitting, I don't know where they are. Maybe they're on a patio or a palace. Maybe he's in a room. Maybe he's, I don't know where he's at, but he's chilling right now to the point where he looks around. And as he looks around, he looks at his living conditions and he looks at the ark. Now this is before the temple was built. So this is not a, there's not a temple that was erected that put the ark of God, the presence of God inside. And so he looks around and he sees God's presence dwells in a tent and while God's presence dwells in a tent he looks around and he's like how do I live in a house of cedar when my God the one who has provided the house of cedar is living in a in a tent right now a, 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 a tent that is in shambles because it's been carried around for so long a tent that's made of cloth and some type of cheap wood David is like it's no way I'm gonna live in a house of cedar now a couple things you should know about David's house number one David's house is made of cedar and that doesn't mean a room that his closet's not cedar and the rest of the house is concrete. That the, the, that cedar, is, cedar is the most expensive way that you can build a house in ancient times. And I would argue it's still one of the most ways you can build a house. I know we live in New York and we, we don't know nothing about no cedar, but if you try to price out a cedar line closet right now, it's going to cost you a pretty penny in order to get that. Why? Because cedar is the most expensive way to build a house. Also notice that this is David. So so David doesn't live in a a 700-foot square foot, you know, 700 square foot uh, New York apartment. That's not where David lives. David lives in a palace. And so when he says, "Oh, how I live! Oh, how I'm looking around at the cedar in my house," he's saying from top to bottom, every room, every part of my house is made of cedar. Do you know how much money that cost him? And he's like, "While I'm chilling, comfortable." And and, and a place that is made of cedar, not just the hardwood floors, but everything is cedar. I'm looking at God's living conditions, and I got him living in a tent. Consider with me David's David's desire here, because David's desire, I think, is so noble. David's desire here is is desiring to make sure that God is taken care of. Why? Because he himself has been taken care of. And while he's sitting here waiting for God to be taken care of, he's like, I'm not going to fly first class while I got God in coach. He's like, I'm not going to be sitting here eating filet mignon when I got God eating a chopped cheese from the bodega. It's it's no way I'm going to be sitting here sipping on some fine wine that you got to go like this and smell the nose from Napa Valley while I sit here and got God drinking Cisco. Y'all don't don't know nothing about Cisco. (laughs) It's liquid crack, y'all. Don't mess around with Cisco. He's like, it's no way. I'm living in these conditions and... I'm looking at God and God is not living in the same conditions. And I love what Nathan says. Nathan is the prophet right now of Israel. He kind of acts as, as, as Israel's spiritual leader, his spiritual pastor, if you will. Uh, he, he's kind of acting as the, guy, as the guy who guides Israel spiritually. And David hears, uh, Nathan hears that, guy, that David wants to make a contribution and he does like every good pastor would do. He, would, he does like I would do if you came up to me and said, I want to make a large contribution to the kingdom of God. I love David's response, uh, Nathan's response go do all that is on your heart. The Lord is with you. I joked around with Aaron, and you know, my, my, my boy Aaron, you know, he's one of the guys who has, who has financially contributed. He probably doesn't want me to say this, but financially contributed to, and don't all y'all come up to him afterwards and say what's up. But he's one of the guys that his church has partnered with us and financially contributed to our church. Uh, and whenever he said, there's a large contribution I'm giving to Epiphany Church, I always say, go do what is on your heart. Let the Lord lead you for the Lord is with you. That's exactly, that's verse three. That's exactly, I'm just trying to be as biblical as possible. What what David does is David has a good desire. Can we all agree that this is a good desire? I wish that we had that desire in this house. I wish that we had the desire. I wish that we would look around at the cedar in our house. I wish we'd smell the things and see if it smells like cedar and look at God's house and be like, ah, but I'm not taking care of that. I wish that we had the disposition. Now, let me be very clear. This is not a generosity sermon. I have no hidden agenda to get you to give more. I promise you, I am not asking Gabe to send me your report to see if the giving went up today. I'm simply asking you to pay attention to the things in your life and understand and try to, try to pinpoint if you're living in cedar. Why you got God living in a tent? All of us have been in those seasons where we've been guilty of that. I don't care who you are, I don't care how spiritual you are. Now notice something about David. David here, he, his desire is to upgrade God's living condition. His desire is not to bring down his own. Did, did you know that? Nowhere in this passage does David say, I got to get rid of the cedar. Nowhere. He's like, I'm keeping a cedar. But notice that when God talks to Nathan, he says, that I ask for a house of cedar? In other words, David desired to put God in the same living conditions that he was in. And I think this is so important for us because many of us, y'all have heard me talk about my, my hatred toward the prosperity gospel. That gospel that says, you know, you come to Jesus and he's going to give you, you know, a Bentley and, and you're gonna, you know, everything's going to be well. It only lets us down for you not to get the Bentley or you get the Bentley and you can't afford the Bentley. Like it, 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 it always lets us down. But my hatred of the prosperity gospel, if you're not careful, you'll swing the pendulum so far that you'll believe in a poverty gospel. God wants me to downgrade everything. Now, he might ask you to put some stuff away. He might ask you not to get something, but don't ever get it twisted. God, right now in the text, God is like, look, I'll take the cedar, but I'm not asking you to come live in the tent. David nowhere says, I'm going to go live in the tent and let God live here. David doesn't downgrade from cedar wood to vinyl wood. Y'all know what vinyl wood is? I was going to say your grandmother, but y'all, your great-great-grandmother, because y'all, y'all young. Your great-great-grandmother, our great-grandmother used to have vinyl in the house. You know, it had that vinyl wall with the diamond-shaped mirrors, and that one couch that got the plastic over it you know what I'm talking about? That if you fall asleep on that couch in the summer, you wake up 10 pounds lighter. You know what I'm talking about? Your grandmother had vinyl wood, trust me. When I first met Ty, remember Hooptie? We used to call her Hooptie. She had a vinyl panel. I said, she cute, but that car, that ain't it. David is not saying I'm downgrading from cedar to vinyl. He's, he's, not, he's not downgrading. He—he simply is saying, I want to make sure that God is taken care of. And this is so important because listen to me, y'all. Listen, please do not swing the pendulum. Anytime you put anything before the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. So prosperity gospel ain't the gospel. Poverty gospel ain't the gospel. Be a good steward of the resources that God has given you. And trust me, take care of God. Take care of God. Take care of God. That's the primary focus of your resources is to make sure God is taken care of. But you better save a little something, something for yourself. I'm I'm just trying to help us have a balanced stewardship. Because some of us have foolishly emptied our account and took everything off and we were like in rags. And we're like, I just want to be homeless for the Lord. No, you're stupid. No, no, no. No, no. I'm just, I'm, I don't know how y'all spend y'all money. Here's how I do it. I, I genuinely, and I, this is not hyperbole, I genuinely love being generous. I love it. I love, I love giving to God. I, I love giving to God because, you know, the strength of the relationship between David and God right now is David thinks he's given to God and God is like, baby, you can't, you can't. You think you're giving more than I gave? It's, it's no way. That is the strength of our relationship. I don't care how much you give, you don't give more than God. I don't care how much you serve, you don't serve more than God. I don't care how much you sacrifice, you don't sacrifice more than God. And so I, I, I love this passage because David is like, I'm not downgraded. Look, I'm just telling y'all, I'm going I'm to take care of God's house. That's the primary. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Every single check. I ain't sitting there playing the games, so I tie off the groves. Of the net. Like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm like, I'm like the widow. The widow gave hundred percent. If you want to talk percent, let's give like the widow might. She gave hundred percent. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that I take care of God's house, but you better believe that I'm going to make sure my, my family's set up. I'm trying to keep, teach y'all balance. I'm going to make sure Ty go on vacation. I'm going to make sure I put a little fit together every now and then. Come on, y'all. Y'all always look nice. Because I want to make sure that God's house is taken care of, but that doesn't mean I got to get rid of the cedar. David's like, I'm going to make sure God is taken care of, but I'm not downgrading the cedar. As a church, we've been in a season where I've I've certainly been asking you to consider uh, the church as an extension of your generosity. Again, it's not a stewardship sermon, but I do believe that how we deal with our money says a lot about our hearts, a whole lot. I've said this before, your bank account, your bank statement is an x-ray of your heart because the thing that you are giving your money to is your God. When you look at your when you look at your check every week and you look at the things that you spend on, that's the one you're saying, master. That's the one you're saying, savior. That's the one you're saying, Lord. And I, I just refuse to have any other gods. In fact, God is gonna deal with that in the text before us. And so David is like, look, I, I just wanna I wanna take care of God. I'm living in cedar, so therefore, I'm looking at this tent. I got to make sure God is taken care of. Now, here's the crazy plot twist. David said, I want to take care of God's house. Nathan goes to sleep. God is like, when you wake up, tell David, bro, I hate, your, I hate your plan. That's the text. He went to sleep, and Nathan found out from the Lord that God is like, no. Look at the passage before us, verse number four. It says, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel or from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling place In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel of whom I commanded to shepherd the people of Israel? Saying, why have you built me a house of cedar? Understand what God is doing. David has a pure intentions, a good heart, wants to make sure God is taken care of, and God says, no. What what do you do in those moments? What do you do in the moments where you feel like you're doing something that's noble and something that's kind and something that's godly, and God's like, I hate it. I don't want you to do that. Anybody ever been there before? Where God said no, and let me just tell you, this is, this is, all, this is always the differentiation between uh, spiritually mature Christians and immature Christians. Immature Christians hate no. Mature Christians are like, your no is better than your yes. I need somebody that, that knows every now and then. You ever pray something, you're like, "E." glad you said no to that one. Because we're so spiritually nearsighted. Some of us don't even know. You may think you got it all planned out. You may got something, you know, you, you, you got some, some reservations for brunch and you're like, oh man, you already thinking about what you're going to order. You're thinking about this afternoon. God is in this afternoon. We're so nearsighted and we're, 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 so, we're, so, we're so focused in tunnel vision and we can't get high enough. And God is always high. So whenever he says no, it is all his no is always a good no. And many of us try to convince God I don't know if this is the Lord or not. This, this might just be my, my personal experience with, with, uh, with Christians, but there are some of us, especially depending on how noble the gesture is that we're trying to give to God, sometimes we can be like, God, you couldn't have said no. And so we'll take God's no, and we'll make it a maybe. Never take God's no. When it's a definitive no, walk away. Because here's the thing. You don't want to get to the end of the thing and find out why he said no. Oh, you don't You don't want that. You, you, I'd rather just rest and be, I'd rather have an attitude with you, why'd you say no, Then actually move out and be like, God, I thought you said yes, and you find out why he said no. It's a dangerous place to be. And so God says, God God says no, and I want Epiphany Church to rest in God's no, and some of you have very, very noble, very, very noble uh, desires, you know, some of you want to go in ministry and God is like, not yet. So some of you want to, you know, be salt and light in other places of the world, and you want to be ambassadors for Christ. And God is like, move west, or you, you think God is like, move west or move south, and you're trying to convince yourself that it's the will of God. And the more you really, really pay attention to the will of God, God is like, no. Stay, stay here. Don't, don't, don't move just yet. And I'm just telling y'all, man. I, I, as a now, I was gonna say as a pastor, as a believer, I really want to rest in God's no. Some of you this year, and, and I hope you're not receiving this in the negative because we often think that God's no is a negative, but his no can be the most positive. The most positive. And so David says, I want to build you a house. God says no. Now, here's the plot twist. It's not just the fact that God said no, that's the plot twist, but verse 11 is the plot twist. After he said no to David, he says in verse number 11. From that time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Here it is. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. What? Wait, did y'all just peep that? David started out by going, I'm going to build God a house. God is like, no, I'm going to build you one. And I, I love this. I love this. Because God, that's what he's doing. God is a master builder. Look at the creation. Look at the, look at the world. God knows how. He's innovative. He's creative. He knows what he's doing. But those of you who are excited, going, God's going to build me a house. You should also know when he builds a house, he has to break up the foundation. That's how he builds. How he builds the house is first, he looks at the foundation that you are building your life on, and he has to break it up. It's uncomfortable. They don't always feel good, but the foundation breakage is important. I got up at 5.30 this morning and I was praying. I was going, God, like, what are the things in Epiphany Church that you were desiring to break up? And there's three things. There's three things that I, I really believe. Write these down. I really believe that the Lord is trying to break up as it relates to the foundation of your life. Number one, I believe in this season for many of you, not all of you, but for many of you, this will hit that God is breaking up man-made traditionalism. There are some of you, and I've talked to some of you, where you're, you're in a season of deconstruction and reconstruction. You're, you're in a season where there's some things that was taught to you. It got to be true. Grandma said it. It got to be true. My old pastor said it. And we, we you know, the men of God said it. So therefore, it got to be true. But is it biblical? It, 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 I don't ever want you to take my word for it. I want you to search the scripture so that you're not building your life on traditionalism. And let me make a a differentiation between traditionalism and tradition. Because tradition is what we get in scripture. Tradition was passed down from the apostles. I ain't got no problem with tradition. I got a problem when you've taken the the things that were passed down and put on top of a man-made traditionalism. That's the thing that I think God is breaking up. And for many of you, you know, you've been living your life and you believed it to be true. Because you've done it long enough. Listen, just because you have done something dysfunctional for a long time doesn't make it right at some point. Doesn't make it right at some point. We, we, we are all striving to really understand this thing. And I believe that in this season, one of the foundations that God is breaking up is traditionalism. I'm trying to preserve my voice. The second thing is idols. Listen, I'm, I'm convinced that there are many people in the room that have erected in their heart many idols. And you ain't got shrines sitting on the, sitting on the counter. Like, you, you know, you're not worshiping something weird. Like, that's not your disposition. But many of you have gone through life and you have a bunch of functional saviors. You have a bunch of things that you've erected in your life. And this is why I talk about money. One of the reasons why I'm generous and at least try to be generous and give to God is because I know if I let a stack sit in the bank too long, I'm going to start to see that as my master. Money makes a bad god. I'm gonna start to see it as my lord, and so one of the things God has always done with Ty and I's heart is make sure that we are giving it away. I know some of y'all are like it's no way. Like I, I gotta stack it. I gotta keep it. You know that scripture that says, well, what, like, why are you building bigger barns? Because you're gonna die, and a fool's gonna have your money anyway." I want to I I give. I want to be generous. And many of us have erected so many idols. And maybe it's not money. For some of you, it's your spouse. For some of you, it's your kids. For some of you, it's that intimate relationship. And you have taken those things that are good and made them ultimate. That's the, that's, that's the trickiness of idols. Is that we take something that is so good and we make it ultimate. First thing that I think God is starting to break up the foundation on is your traditionalism. The second thing that I think God is breaking up is your idols. The third, and this is—I don't have these in any type of rank or any type of order—but I felt more connected this morning to this one. The third and final way, the third and final uh, foundation that God is breaking up, is spiritual lukewarmness. <laughs> spiritual lukewarm. Spiritual lukewarm. And you got us all fooled. You got us all thinking that you are so hot. God is like, yo, you—you're not. You're, you're lukewarm. One day you're cold. And one day you're hot. And God is like, I can't, I can't build a foundation off of lukewarm Christians. You got to be on fire for the Lord. Listen, y'all, I don't like, I don't like tea, lukewarm. It got to be hot or cold. Hot or ice. I can't have coffee that's lukewarm. It got to be hot or ice. And so it's the same way with God. He looks at your Christian faith and he's like, I want to build them a house, but I can't build on top of a foundation of lukewarmness. It's a a foundation that's unstable. And you're getting away with it now, but there's going to come a season. I don't know if this is prophetic. There's going to come a season where that foundation will not be stable and hold the house. Y'all know the story in in, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus preaches for three chapters. He starts in Matthew 5. He gets to the end of Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of it, he gives a parable. And the parable he gives is about these two builders. And the Bible says that one of them is building on solid ground, which is his word. And the second, which, by the way, the text calls him a fool. The second one is building on a faulty ground. And the faulty ground he is building on isn't exposed until the Bible says the rain fell, the winds blew, and the floods came, and they beat, watch this, on both houses. Because I know as a Christian, I know what you're doing. You're going, ha, my my foundation's good, so the storm ain't going to come. No, the storm actually came from both houses. But you didn't know if you were in the house of a fool until the storm came. And once the storm hit, it exposed what was underneath the house. And you might be getting away with it in this season. But let me tell you something about spiritual lukewarmness. It always catches up with us. Many of us are playing with sin. I didn't mean for this to be like a rebuke sermon. I didn't. I didn't. This, This feels like, a you know, we were talking about space issues. This is what they call a space making sermon. Where, where you talk about sin and then nobody come back. <laughs> then we got space. I, I, genuine, I genuinely believe, I, I believe that many of us in this room have leaned into a new season where we're like, oh man, Epiphany's just so gracious. They're always preaching about grace. So therefore, I can do whatever I want. If that is your disposition, I would ask you to check and examine if you're really of the faith. Because don't, don't no real genuine believer play with sin. We don't play with sin. There are moments in your life where you have to do it, an inventory, where you have to pop the hood and see what's in your life. Because I see sometimes y'all think I'm talking about real, real dysfunctional sins. I ain't saying you out having orgies. I'll save that for the relationship series. <laughs> Let me put that note in, orgies. Got it. I'll save that one. But, but, but sometimes, sometimes it's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon calls the little sin. Now, I'm not trying to rank sins, but, but there are some things that go underneath of our life that if we're not paying attention to it, you have become functionally dysfunctional. You have bought into the lie that God will accept your little sins. My God is too holy. My God is too righteous. My God is too good to be dwelling with that type of sin. So there, there's three things, three foundations. I hope you're paying attention to them. God is going to be breaking up uh, traditionalism. I believe the foundation of your, the idols that you erect in your heart. And I believe finally, he will be breaking up the lukewarmness of, of our Christian faith. I can't even say Christian faith, y'all. I feel like I got to move on, but I can't. I'm, it's not even Christian faith. You know what it is? If you are comfortable being uh, lukewarm, I would say you, you really should check if you're really even of the faith. And let me show you why. man. Ah, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter three, look at, look at what Jesus says. He writes seven letters. One of the churches that he writes to is, is a church called Laodicea. And this is what he says about lukewarmness. He says in verse number 15, he says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either. <laughs> he says, so because you are lukewarm, he says and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, some people will go, that's not that bad. If you spit me up, I can come back, I can, I can get back in, in good grace with him. But look at the rest of the words that he uses. He says, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. That don't sound like a believer. So lukewarmness is, it's not, it's a big deal, y'all. Lukewarmness is not something to play with. I'm going to move on here. So David says, I'm going to build you a house. God said, God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm actually going to build you a house. But then in another kind of a plot twist, he says, oh, but there's somebody in your bloodline that will build me a house. Okay, let's get to the rest of this. I'm going to lay on the plane. Verse 11. Is this, is this, y'all all right? Is this hitting? Is this making sense? Verse 11. It says, from that time that I appointed judges over Israel, I will make you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you. Uh Uh-oh. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's so much happening in here. But listen to me. The entire passage hinges on verse 13. The whole whole thing hinges on verse 13. Because verse 13, if you read it on the surface, you'll, you'll miss what's happening. It actually has dual meaning. Because the first meaning, he's saying, David, there's somebody in your bloodline that actually is going to build me a house. We all know theologically who built the house. Thank you all for reading your Bible. Solomon built the temple, which is David's son. So this verse actually came true, but it came true partially. Because in Solomon, we get a piece of it. In Jesus, we get the rest. Because the text goes on and says, your throne will, will, will last forever. Solomon's throne didn't last forever. Let me help you all out about the temple. One of the things you can do right now, and Aaron, I know you just came back from Israel. If you go to Israel right now, the temple is under Muslim control. It, it's not owned by, so, so the temple, it hit that throne didn't last forever. So the, the last thing forever is talking about somebody greater than Solomon. The lasting forever is talking about Jesus. And plus, Solomon was a wild boy. Oh yeah, First first, first, uh, First Kings talks about how he loved many strange women. He's a wild boy. He was wise, he had money, but he was a fool. He was an absolute fool. And so the text is not talking about David, uh, about just Solomon. He's a portion, but the full fulfillment we find in Jesus. In fact, I'm going to end here, but you know, Jesus says stuff like, Jesus says stuff like, when he's sitting before the Pharisees, He says, I'm going to destroy the temple, and in three days, I'm going to rise it up. Remember what they said? It took us 46 years to build this temple. How will you rise the temple up in three days? And the Bible goes on to say that Jesus was not talking about the physical temple, but he was talking about his body. So yes, Solomon built a temple, but Jesus is the temple. Which is why when Jesus died on the cross and he said to Telestai, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave up the ghost. The Bible says that the veil in the temple, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, was torn from top to bottom. Why is it torn from top to bottom? This is the place where the presence of God dwelt. It was torn from top to bottom because you no longer get to the access of God's presence through the temple. I get the access to God's presence through Jesus. Ah. I get access through Jesus. And so David, he couldn't have understood. When God said, oh no, you think you're building me a house? I'm going to build you one. But the house that I'm building you ain't brick and mortar. The house I'm building you, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to build, and his throne lasts forever. Y'all remember Palm Sunday when I laid down the palms? Y'all remember what the crowd said? Son of David. Why the son of David? Because through David's loins, through, through David's lineage, We will get one that throne lasts forever. I don't know who it is in this room, but as we're talking about God building you a house, you're lukewarm. I'm just not that pastor's going, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to ruffle your feathers. That's just what I want to do today. I want you to understand and know and really sit in this thing for a second. Many of you are lukewarm, or you got idols, you've been rocking with traditionalism and not the truth of the gospel. And here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I simply want to pray because I know God wants to build a house. He wants, to, he wants to use you. He wants to do great things through you. There are people that are waiting to hear this glorious message of a, of a risen Savior, but they can, only, they can only hear when that foundation has been broken up, rebuilt, and the house has been built on top of it. There's a scripture that says, how can anyone lay a foundation than that which has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus? Let's play something soft here. I we don't got a lot of time, y'all. But I just I want to pray for somebody that's just lukewarm. You know it. And you used to be hot. You used to be hot. You used to be on fire for the Lord. You used to be serious about your faith. Somewhere along the line, that thing is fizzled out. And some of you you can trace it. Thank you, Lord. Some of you can trace it to a person. What's Galatians say? Oh, foolish Galatian. Who? Bewitched you. Not what? For some of you it's a person that caused your faith to fizzle out. God is like, man, I'm building a house. I, I want to I do the work. But I can't do it where you are. And so therefore, I need to clean up shop. I'm not gonna belabor the point. If that's you, if there's three things, if there's one of these three that you're dealing with, either you you know that you've been wrestling with spiritual warmness. It shows up in your prayer life. It shows up in your lack of your desire to really follow the Lord. It shows up in your, your, your lack of desire to commit to his body and commit to anything of, that, that, that's, that's the things of God. I want to pray for you. The second person I want to pray for is the one that has idols. Not shrines, but idols. I also want to pray for the person that's just been rocking with traditionalism. And you want God to rid you of that so that you can replace it with the truth of the gospel. Do me a favor, just real quick, can y'all... Run down to the altar somewhere. Be careful about a pool. But if y'all can just come down to the altar. If you say, that's me. I'm wrestling with spiritual lukewarmness. I'm, that's me. That's me. And listen, y'all. Listen, y'all. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I don't care if you're serving. I don't care if you want to look holier than thou. I don't care if you want to act like you're more spiritual. All of us in this room get to the point where we just need God to heat us up. Set us on fire my prayer. There's more of you. There's more of you. That's my prayer. My prayer is that you would be so in love with Jesus that you would ask him to light you on fire so that everybody can watch me burn for you. That's my prayer. Father, I thank you for these young men. Thank you for these young ladies. Lord, you're doing a work in their life. You said that your word would never return void. And there's, some, there's somebody here, oh God, that genuinely has been going through life. And we've been coasting. We've been thinking we're okay. But Lord, you're, you're getting at us today. You're getting at our hearts. And I thank you, oh God, because you're so gracious. Here's your grace that you allow us a moment to repent. And you allow us a moment to say sorry and a moment to get it right so, Lord, we stand before you saying, we're here, Lord. We ain't got it all together. We ain't got it all right. But, Lord, we've taken the step to be here. So, Lord, I pray that you would do something. Clean up our hearts. Clean up our hearts. Clean up our hearts. Renew us, oh God. Give, 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 us, give, give us safety in your presence today. We've ran to so many things, oh God. And some of it ain't all the way bad, but Lord, we've ran to some things that were just not you. So Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would give us wisdom this week to disconnect from those things. Lord, as we go through this renovation process of our hearts, Lord, we accept your will. Break up the foundations of our hearts. Break them up, God. Break them up. Because the truth is, I believe this, Lord. I believe that everybody that came on this altar, I believe they genuinely, genuinely want to walk with you in faithfulness. But God, this world, this life be life in. Yes, yes. It be life in. it. so, Lord, we pray, oh God, for a renewed spirit. Pray for a broken and contrite heart. We pray, so I pray Psalm 51 over this altar. Broken and contrite heart. I love your words. You will not despise. You won't reject us. You'll accept us if we come to you in full repentance. And so, Father, from this moment forth, may we walk away and be different. I don't know what that means, but Lord, may we walk away and just be different. May we not try to fit in. May we not try to be accepted. May we walk in the fullness of who you've created us to be different, not ordinary, not average. Lord, I don't, I don't just pray for those that are on this altar, but there's somebody that's still sitting in their seat that also is wrestling. Lord, I pray for that renewed spirit in them as well. Remove the heart of stone. Remove the heart of stone, Lord. And give us a heart of flesh that's penetrable. We thank you for your work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.